0: This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley campus May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party! Reserve your spot at eomega.org/party today. Welcome to the Angel Tarot Show with best-selling author and Angel Tarot expert Radley Valentine. Plan your week ahead with gentle guidance from your angels, combined with the wisdom of Tarot, and create the magical life you deserve.
1: Hey, everybody. It is Radley here with the Angel Tarot Show, our wonderful weekly podcast on mindbodyspirit.fm. And we are taking a pause from our weekly talk about the Archangels to sort of look, do a little diversion to the conversation of tarot. Now, the reason that we are doing this is because recently Hay House did this big summit and they had a bunch of thought leaders in the tarot industry as a part of that. And so when I saw that and I was invited to do it, thank you, Hay House, uh, I started paying attention to who else is doing this. And I came across this super cool guy whose name is Ari Wissner. And so Ari is a Hay House author in his own right, but also the author of his own stuff as well. And so this is going to be an unusual little chat. This is not like a a typical interview. This is basically Ari and I sitting down and having a conversation about why are you doing what you do and why am I doing what I do? And I explained it to him just a little bit earlier that it's almost like a blind date for friends. So we're going to see what do we have in common? What do we not have in common? Where do those uncommon grounds lead to also uncommon epiphanies? And we're going to just chat and you just get to listen.
2: Hey, Ari. Hi, Wadley. So good to be (laughs) here. Um, And thank you for a wonderful introduction. That's really, really fantastic. And I'm really excited to have this kind of conversation and to share it with everyone.
1: Okay, so let's just start with the basics so that people kind of have a baseline. What do you do? (laughs)
2: So, um, I am a tarot reader and tarot creator. By trade, I'm an illustrator and a designer, and I have created two tarot decks. Um, I have illustrated an oracle deck for Carl Gray, and I'm currently working on my own oracle deck. So, how I like to kind of (laughs) wrap that up in one sentence is I like to make tangible visual tools that will empower people in their spiritual journey or in their day to day life.
1: Okay, so how how did this start? I mean, were you raised in a mystical family, or were you? I mean, how did you get here?
2: A <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, so i I got here. I got into tarot in twenty seventeen, um, and I created my tarot decks um, from in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, which is why I really sort of deepened my understanding. Um, and it became to be a, a larger feature in my life. Before 2017, I was very, very religious. and um, Oh, I, really? Yeah. So I grew up very religious, very dogmatic in my beliefs. Um, so there was no uh, mysticism. There was no tarot. There was no magic. There was no none of that. So all of that is reasonably new to me, although it was something that I was always sort of called to um, in the back of my mind. As a naturally kind of spiritual person. And I think what brought me to this path, especially the path of tarot, was finding their own divinity within me rather than the divinity externally. Um, And finding out how to listen to my intuition, my power, and my own heart, which was something I was always sort of trained not to do, if that makes sense. Rather, you know, always go outward to uh, an external God, as it were. So, yeah. How about you? I know I know tarot is part of your practice, but it's it's just one part of your practice, is it something that's always been?
1: Before I tell you that, I'm going to ask a nosy question. How old are you?
2: How old? Uh huh. Oh, I'm 32. I nearly forgot. Okay.
1: Okay. I was just I was just so you were like 28, 27 when you Mm -hmm. flipped the switch. If you were. Yeah. Okay. So see, that's really interesting to me because. I was too.
2: I oh, really. That's why oh. I was
1: doing the math. Yeah, because what happened for me, it's like for me, because it's like I was raised in the church. I was raised in the Methodist church. And it it was the church itself was more intense than than my than my parents were. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my my mom was actually the administrative assistant to the bishop of the United Methodist Church. And so Hi, mom. Happy Mother's Day. This (laughs) is being recorded on Mother's Day in the United States. So I think that for my mom, that there was a she got a little jaded because she knew what all the ministers were doing that they weren't supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. she knew. Um, But we went to this. We went to this church and and where I grew up, at least back then, the Methodist church tended to play um, musical chairs with their ministers. So it was just like they'd, they'd have a minister for two or three years, and then they'd all get tired of him, and they'd kick him out, and they'd get somebody new. Things started to like evolve for me because the church I was raised in got this ministry. He was very, very intense and really acted a whole lot like a televangelist. Actually, that is, that's not even fair to the televangelist. He started acting almost like a cult leader. I mean he wanted to march around the sanctuary and he wanted us to follow him and and my mom just wouldn't <laughs>
2: <laughs> <That> sounds great
1: <laughs> right, right. But I had started having like some psychic experiences when I was a kid, so i I was already like outside the norm, but for me, it was the gay thing. it was that's where I really like had to like quit because I I was in this other church I'd left the first one and and the minister had come in, was firing everybody that was gay. And unfortunately, that was a lot of people <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and at least one that I cared about. And so uh, that was kind of it for me. So I, I had really gone. I was really into angels. That was really my key thing. And before you were born, maybe before your parents were born, there was this thing called America Online <laughs> and, <laughs> and it had what we would call like a chat room. But you could only have 21 people in the room. And so you'd sit there and push the button, push the button, push the button, push the button, trying to get into the room, because there was this room called Angel Speak. It was a bunch of angel people, because there were none where I lived. This is such a long story. I'm making this. The teacher that I found for angels also loved tarot. Hmm. And so that was back when angels and tarot were strange bedfellows, where it was like, no, these don't go together. And so... While I was learning about angels, I started learning about tarot and I, I loved it, but I didn't love the way it was presented because it just didn't, it didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of like started taking things in a different direction. So it's interesting to me because that would have been about, I would have been your age when you started flipping that switch. Mm. Um and so what was it like when you flipped the switch? I mean, was it instant? Were you like finally this is where I belong? Was it you No, know I think it was
2: it was a long time coming because it was between the ages of 25 and 27, 28 where I really challenged my faith. So when I was 25, I was disfellowshipped from my church. Mm. And so I spent the next few years trying to get back in, basically. And I was doing a lot of like private study, like Bible study, and basically my I stuck with Christianity, but in a different form to the church that I grew up in. It's almost like I I I got, you know, removed from the church, and then I actually got deeper into my faith. I got closer to to God and closer to my faith. Strangely, and actually, it was that journey getting deeper into my faith that actually pulled me away from them fully. Um, but what really pulled me away from religion fully was um i think it was the realization that the divine is within us as you know as well as as well as externally um and i think that's where i disagreed with the church that i was in and secondly that was like the first thing and secondly it was also my sexuality you know i i came out as bi i thought i was bi at the time when i was sort of 26 25 26 i kind of made that work you know I, I went to inclusive churches I even you know I hung around with people within that church that I grew up in who were more liberal and sort of had like little liberal corners but what broke what, what broke it really was um, when I fell in love for the first time and after f- like three months with my first boyfriend we moved to London together and I just this was my opportunity to start a new life and I kind of left it behind me and at first I thought I would um, find inclusive churches when I got to London. But when I got there, I started to, yeah, I just sort of found the things that I used to get from church elsewhere. So I found community, um, which I used to have only at church. Um, I found prayer through meditation. I found spiritual practice through Tao. And I also started taking more interest in science and I remember quite distinctly um, a few months after I moved to London, going just around the corner, there was the Horniman Museum, which is like a collection of um, this this basically a really rich guy, a long time ago, built up a huge collection of treasures from around the world. And he has a whole section of um, taxidermy and also a whole section on evolution. And I remember looking through this evolution, evolution section and at this time I I had been a creationist. It was almost at that moment I was like, oh, Maybe evolution is true. <laughs> maybe it wasn't the way that I thought it was. And it just sort of happened there. So very quickly in a in a space of maybe six months, I went from I'm a liberal Christian who's closer to my faith than ever, to I don't need this. And there was partly out of rebellion as well. There was part of me that was, I don't need religion, mm-hmm. I don't need God, and I don't need um church. But I think what I've always held on to is my connection to the universe. So in that sense, I do need God or divinity or the source or whatever term you use. So I don't feel that ever changed. It's just kind of my root there has changed. And I think I've become quite wary of being dogmatic about that route. So it was, yeah, a bit of a go deeper in and then very quickly out <laughs> for me. So, yeah, it's really, it's really fascinating that we've had that kind of similar experience obviously in different ways but uh, that kind of shift happening at the same age and it's an interesting age for it to happen in terms of I mean I don't know it, how much an effect it made on your life in terms of did you find yourself living a very different life because you are no longer associating yourself as like calling yourself a Christian or
1: it's a really good question I don't think anyone has ever asked me that i'm I'm gonna say that i I did I'm not sure if it was the same as you for for me it was I just suddenly had a whole lot less people to care about what they think. Mm. I was still living as a gay guy in Knoxville, Tennessee. Don't even ask where that is in the mid eighties and it was not a great place to be doing that and I had a partner and, you know, my family knew, but I was still kind of pretty closeted, not really effectively. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like everybody knew everybody's just waiting for me to like say it was okay to acknowledge that they knew, but I, it didn't, I think that I had such a poor belief system in just like you always like to say, universe, source, divine, God, goddess, you pick, I don't care. That it, I had sort of like a core that. And because I had that, it didn't change. You know what changed me? Yeah. This is what changed me okay. conversations with God, book one.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't
1: care about the others. Didn't even think the others were all that good. Sorry, Neil. But, <laughs> but it's, it's the first one for me was like this, that was the aha. That was the like, Oh my God, mm. right. This, this is it. And so then I read that. And then I read this book about this woman who had a near death experience called, I think it was called going to the light or something. And then I started reading John Holland and I, start, I just started reading all this stuff. That's where it's like I really started to like kind of have what I think was your experience. But I, th- I think mine took a little longer because mm-hmm. I was there were so many you were luckier. I'm going to say that without full knowledge, but it seemed like you were luckier because you were in London. Times were easier for us. But for me, it's like I still I stayed in the closet for a really long time, but I also just didn't care. What a whole lot of people thought. So how did you get to Tarot, though? I mean, it's like, did someone just like did you just walk into a coffee shop and someone was throwing cards and you're like, I want that? Or I mean, how'd you get there?
2: I was at a festival um with, with my first boyfriend and I had literally just moved to London. It was all very fresh. I was suddenly wrapped up in this life where I was. doing doing as much as I possibly could and experiencing as much as I possibly could, probably not in the most healthiest way. (laughs) I I started to have this need for spiritual practice, um, but I felt like I couldn't go to prayer and I couldn't go to religion. I can't remember how I'd heard of tarot. I think I'd always been aware of it, but I had bought myself a tarot deck and kind of forgot about it and then hadn't really focused much on it. I'm a visual person being an artist, so it kind of caught me when I was sort of looking at different practices, you know, meditation, crystals, whatever. um, It appealed to me because of the visuals. And I was at a festival and uh, this lovely duo called Lit Witcher, Fiona and Jen, they were holding a secular tarot workshop, which perked my interest because it was kind of, because they used the word secular. Right. kind of made it neutral ground. So I felt right. like I wasn't going into something witchy, which I secretly wanted to do, but I had hang-ups. <laughs> <stuff. laughs> um, but I also felt like I wasn't going into something religious, you know, or dogmatic. Yeah. I thought, okay, these are two, you know, two worldwise women, um, a- you know, atheists um, and using the tarot in a very useful, practical way. So I had this workshop and that kind of opened it for me and I started really digging deep into it and using it for my own practice and I just found it really powerful and I think as I sort of touched on like what made it so powerful was reading the cards requires you to go to tap into both your sort of inner wisdom and Mm -hmm. your feelings that maybe you mask with fear or um pleasing others, there's lots of things that stop you from listening to your own heart or your own wisdom, um, and cards kind of cut through all of that noise because if it if it prompts you to have a, an emotion, you know that emotion is real. You know it's quite easy to fool yourself that you're not feeling um, jealous, but then if the card comes up and prods you, it's like, mm, okay, yeah, I'm feeling some jealousy, um, and that was really powerful for me because I was very out of practice uh, listening. Uh, listening to those voices and I and although I got deeper into that practice and I I think I do have a bit of a fear about being dogmatic so I wouldn't necessarily call my practice secular but I also wouldn't nail down how it works so I don't know if I'm channeling ancestors I don't know if I'm channeling angels I don't know if I'm just tapping into my own gut Um, I don't really mind and I think that's what this these these ladies um sort of taught me was if it works then it's good which made me think of the bible verse you know you know the, you know the fruits of the spirit you know you can you can tell us something's good by its fruits and for me the tarot had really good fruits and thinking too deeply about how it works or why it works uh, was something that I was not and I think I'm opening up more now, but still very keen to never sort of try to nail down something um, because part of our human experience is knowing that we'll never know. And I, I kind of think that's the magic of it. So, yeah, that's kind of how I got to it. Um, and then the lockdown gave me the time and the opportunity to really deep right. dive
1: right. down. And,
2: and create my own decks. You know, originally I was making it for me only. So I'd deep dive into a card create the artwork so i did them both one after the other i made one self-published it and the month after self-publishing it i started the next one and they were following my journey the theme of each deck was sort of following things that i was understanding at the time
1: the the deck that you bought and then sort of forgot about was it right away
2: yeah yeah Yeah,
1: thought so and it still is my home
2: deck it's my go-to because of everything it means to me symbolically i guess yeah what was your first deck
1: I, I learned somewhat from Rider Waite, but I didn't like Rider Waite. I, I didn't like it because, first of all, the gay thing, and I didn't think it was very pretty colors. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> so there was Definitely. that. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the gruesomeness of it. Um, mm-hmm. I understand it. I teach about the fact that it's like, hey, come on, 600 years ago, things were rough. Well, although well, like actually, you know, right away it's nineteen nineteen, but that's still, nevertheless, I just didn't. I felt like it was a barrier to entry, yes, for a lot of people, mm. because you know, to borrow your own terms, wanting to learn tarot but not wanting to do something too witchy. Not that there's anything wrong with doing something that's very witchy, because I'm totally pro that, but I. I think that that's not the majority of people. For me personally what I did um was I I just kept buying decks and they mm-hmm. just kept going in a box cuz <laughs> I'd get them and I'd open them and be like, uh, and um <laughs> so, yeah. and and so finally I f- I found this deck called the Connolly deck. It was You know, first of all, it was very vibrant and rich, beautiful Mm -hmm. colors. So I liked that. Nobody was bleeding. Nobody was dying. (laughs) Nobody's head had been removed. And it didn't feel the need to, like, go to such extensive, intense Mm -hmm. visualization to give very simple messages like the situation is over or... You know, you need to move on or, you know, because a lot of, yes, tarot is as deep as you want to take it. I tell my students, it's like, you go down the rabbit hole if you want to. I certainly have. When I started making tarot decks, what I wanted to make was what I wanted to have in the first place, which was a deck that didn't make me scared. That didn't make me feel like I'm tiptoeing into waters that I don't want to be in. You know, it's like by creating decks where there wasn't scary words and wasn't scary imagery, but I think I did okay doing imagery that was like, oh, I'm going to pluck out that symbolism and throw it away because it's too much. Mm -hmm. And I'll put this in because it means the same thing. So, you know, we're whole now, not Mm -hmm. changing the fixed system of tarot, not changing what the magician means yeah what I wanted to do was basically give people what I didn't have at the time, which was a way to be able to enter the world of tarot and feel safe about it.
0: Mm, you know, and it's
1: like it's like I kind of have like this theory that I don't know how to prove it, but I have this theory. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: have
1: this theory that you know it's like we. I do believe in reincarnation and I do believe that we've been reincarnating over and over and over and over. And I think that as we become more evolved souls, that's maybe in some ways we've become more sensitive,
0: mm.
1: you know, and we remember these cards from, you know, 1779 or whatever. Yeah. And, and we loved them, but now we're too sensitive to have some guy with horns and the chains, and the, you know, chaining people. Even though you and I both know that that's not what it means, yeah. but but it it's still. I was trying to like open the world to for to people for Tarot to be like it's, There's a there's a safe way, mm. in your personal practice, your definition of safe.
2: One hundred percent. I love everything you just said. Then I think because what's funny is the reason I liked. The Rider Weight, although there were things that I didn't relate to. Um, the reason I liked it was, in a way, because it were, it did seem quite religious. Like I saw a lot of Christianity yeah. in it. Oh, yeah. In a way, it felt like a bit of a reclaim for me. So it was like, it was already a language that I understood. I felt like I didn't have to study it much. And then after that, one of the reasons I wanted to make my own tarot deck was for the same reason as you say, like it wasn't accessible. And as much as I loved this, like sentimentally loved this tarot deck, I, it annoyed me that the lover's card I couldn't relate to because it was a naked man and a naked woman. Right. And I didn't like that it had a devil because I don't believe in a supernatural devil. Right. And so it was like, okay, this is all very great for me in my sentimentality, but this isn't the kind of deck I want to use. And I was quite naive to the fact that there were many other decks around. <laughs> so when I started my first one, um, Trinity Tarot, it was all about stripping out the darkness and simplifying it so I kept all the symbols I made it all clean I used a, pa- a color palette of like four yeah four colors so I really stripped it back to make it like this accessible tarot deck which is modern um but it didn't lose the meaning it didn't lose the symbols and then it was actually through self-publishing that that I got online <laughs> and like started mixing with all these people interested other people interested in tarot on Instagram and stuff and then that's when I started collecting other people's tarot decks. And that really opened my eyes to, wow. And I like how you said the, about this, this theory of us evolve, the way that we've evolved is that's why we can't connect to that too much or why it's perhaps scary or unrelatable. And I think tarot, as it's made by humans, like has evolved the same way as humans have. And that's why you ha- we have s- such diverse tarot decks out there now because it's it's the artists responding I mean that's what artists have always done artists have always responded to their current climate um politically or economically or, or whatever and that's been reflected in the art and the wide Smith was a snapshot of that time whereas the decks being made today are for today and I think that's fantastic I love that and I love that you can go to a tarot shop or you can go online and there's thousands of decks and you can find something that you relate to at first i straight away was like oh like what what lgbt ones can i find and although i, I got a few and i like them i then was like i don't want a novelty lgbt deck do you know what i mean i don't i want a deck that just happens to be inclusive rather than it being okay i have bought this gay deck which is lovely to have and sometimes is is the perfect deck to use but um and that's what I tried to do with my transit night tower was like without it being yeah, it's a deck for anyone. It just so happens that some of the things have been renamed so it's not gendered. And I decided not to use humans in it. I could have done it with humans, but I decided not to use humans because I wanted to sort of be like, why should a characteristic like nurturing, why should that be associated to any type of body? you know, or any type of ethnicity or gender. So, and I also didn't want to just, just use animals either. So it's a bit of a mix in that sense. But yeah, I love that. I love that we're evolving and the tarot evolves with us and we can interpret in new ways. And I'm really in- interested to see how that's going to go moving forward, especially as we get more digital. And I'm quite excited about how the tarot is going to move with that. Um mm-hmm has to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, because it's like mm. I I I definitely agree for lots of reasons that Rider Way was epic. Mm. I mean, you know, it's like we're still copying it.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like a
1: lot of us are really copying it. But and as a side note, I agree with you on the gay decks. Because like I have the I have a lot of gay decks too, and I'm always like Ugh. Because it's to me, they're I mean, at least the ones that I've come across. I feel like they're very cartoony mm. in a way, but I mean, it's like Rider weight had, had an effect on us, and it's it continues to have an effect on us. And mm. you know, I think the proof in that, in a way, is that as I started like doing decks, because by the way, my 10th deck comes out this October.
2: Oh, congratulations. I've
1: been a busy boy. (laughs) As I started doing tech decks, I think I went, I started like, you know, like really paying attention to to writer. And then I went away from it. And then, and and then I started to like, I don't know where I went. And then I started to like, go back in a way to me. What's interesting is the deck where I really went back is this one for people. It's called angel wisdom, tarot cards. And, it goes, it goes afield, just like all my stuff from right away. But it also like tried to, at least have more of a nod to the traditional imagery. The guy that's hanging, it's just my guy's hanging with his legs around the limb of a tree, falling like this, and he's playing. But it's still, you know, the the the, the pants and the tunic and the some of that stuff I started to bring back, and people loved it. And I don't mm. even think people know that they love it. I, th- I don't even think that they're even aware, mm. you know. But to me, this, this says something about, it's like, okay, there was there's something real in the whole aspect of those old symbols. It's just the way in which we use those symbols. Yes.
2: Yeah. I think. And because it's all universal yeah. experiences. I suppose this is another thing I did like about the Rider-Waite-Smith. If what I've been told is true, um, the one of the contributions that um Pamela Coleman Smith had to the deck, apart from obviously illustrating the whole thing, um, when it comes to the actual content of the imagery, um, I learned recently that the minor arcana was where she really had an impact in terms of right. playing the story. Um, and she was a storyteller, that's what she did. You know, I've I've got a couple of her books, and it's really interesting that that's she's one of the things she used to do when she was in london she would she would there would be at parties and she'd be sitting there she would sit on the floor and she'd tell stories and she'd weave these stories and i think that's why the tarot is so relatable to people because there's a story in it yes there's archetypes so for example especially at like the major arcana they're, they're big archetypes of life right but what i love about the minor arcana is there's this progression, there's this story, you know, where you're climbing through the story, you're going up and down the ladder of the story. And that's where I find the tarot is really helpful because that's what we're trying to do, right? We're trying to weave our own lives. We're trying to to make our life a story that we're proud of or makes us feel worthwhile or, or, you know, make a good impact on the world around us. Um, And if there's a bad turn in the story, we want to find a way of weaving it back. And the tarot helps us imagine that, you know, we can play, play with these cards, reorder them, um, use a spread and and imagine a story that we can connect with and imagine the outcomes or the pros and cons. So, yeah, I do like that. And there's plenty of artists now who are doing tarot decks and doing that and moving quite far from, from you know, what Pamela did. Um, but I love that storytelling aspect of it. Yeah. Right. Really
1: no, I can totally argue that the deck should have been called Smith Waite.
2: Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was interesting because I recently read only recently read the actual um, Rider Waite's book. Mm-hmm. Um. So his words, and like it was enlightening in places, but I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get an awful lot from it, <laughs> like respect to him. But I didn't get a lot from it. What I love about it is I love. I love the imagery. I love the way it's been done. Um, Obviously, considering the context. But uh,
0: yeah, I think think she did a wonderful job. So, where'd you come up with the name
1: Transient Light? Where'd that come from?
0: The theme was kind
2: of led by a vision that I had. Vision is probably not the right word. I had this kind of image in my head for a while after I started to. Um, wrap my head around the importance of transience and the importance of like embracing it and accepting it. And I had this vision in my head of a skull. Um not in a dark way. I think skulls are a wonderful symbol. I don't think of them as dark at all. And it was this vision of this skull. Out of this skull was this like blue spirit, like a smoky spirit that was like radiating out. And it was this idea, I cause I a lot a lot when I paint or create art I write alongside it I write poetry alongside it so this sort of vision came along with the words um, we are temporary vessels of eternity and it's this idea of this skull is is like a temporary vessel you know eventually it's just going to decay and return to the earth but it's a vessel of something that's eternal however you like to think of the incarnation whether you think of being goes from one person to another or whether you believe that a person is just energy and goes back into the universe and then it's breathed in by the next human we know that that's what we are we know that we have a physical self and we have a spirit energy self and that energy self doesn't end it has an impact and this is a vessel that for a very short space of time we can um channel that spirit so transient was i was sort of imagining like this transient light this I wanted those sort of words to be mixed together. Um, I didn't really think too much about the title. It kind of just came. I was making the deck, and I think about halfway through, I just thought, you know, of that vision and that saying, and I was just like, it's the Transient Light Tarot. That's what it's going to be called. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which was quite fun. And that's something that I... Transience is something really interesting to explore, and it's something that you continually have to explore like, I thought I'd really got a grasp of it when I created that deck. And now, two years on, I'm like, whoa, this is still something that I can't get my head over. You know, the fact that we can be so important and so unimportant at the same time blows my mind and makes me just think life is so beautiful and wonderful. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, and I think that balance is, is, is a fascinating one to sort of focus on and give us perspective,
1: if that makes sense does your deck surprise you? Cause mine surprised me. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I'll like, you know, a student will go, Oh wow. This, what is that? And I'll be like, Oh my God, I didn't even think of that. And I designed the art. I am yeah. not an illustrator. You do not want my stick figures on a card deck, but it's, it's just, it's, it's like, I'll, I'll do work with my cards and I'll be like, Oh my God, this is, this shocks me. Or I hadn't even thought about it or this combination Mm -hmm. of cards just fell out. And this never even occurred to me. And I've never seen this combination before. And I'm like, awed by the whole thing and shocked and I'll giggle. And (laughs) and I was like, I mean, does, do your decks surprise you?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I think, You know, on one hand, you have just the way that people interpret it differently. You know, they see a symbol that I relate to something else and they take it completely differently, but in a very beautiful way. But I definitely feel there's many things in the deck that I just did very instinctively and very intuitively. You know, whether that was channeling or whatever it was, there's some things that didn't really have a rationale as I was doing it. In the art, you know, in the process of creating, it's very instinctive. And it's not until afterwards, often I... I interpret it afterwards. I do do the visual, and then afterwards I look and I'm like, oh, it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense now. Right. And then someone else will see something that I didn't see, which totally aligns with sort of my belief or my perspective. And I'm like, oh wow! Like, it's like I subconsciously was writing in a visual way. So yeah, hundred percent. That's interesting. Like, I wonder to. Oh, I, I I think all writers and. Creators and illustrators probably have that, especially when it's in the realm of such symbolic spiritual artwork. Right. I think subcon- a lot of this comes from the subconscious. And as much as you might plan an image, there's always going to be things slipping through and channeling through. That's a fantastic I love that question. That's really good. <laughs>
1: oh, like- I really it's-
2: I'm really, I'm really glad as well to hear that you have that experience. And it's so like refreshing. But also, do you feel like it makes you feel like your decks have a life of their own? Like once it's gone out of the creation process and then it's published, do you feel like they kind of live their own life doing their own work?
1: I do. But the other, but honestly, Ari, the thing that I think that like gives me the, I call them angel bumps instead of mm-hmm. goosebumps. But it's like a thing that gives me angel bumps about it. The thing that gives me this sense of, okay, I'm doing the right thing is that, Because it's like everything that I do is in a way channeled. I mean, it just sort of is. It's like if I'm writing a book or if I'm creating a card deck or if I'm teaching or whatever I'm doing, it's where I'm the best at what I do is when I get out of my own way. When I just basically go, I call it putting the bar in neutral. It's like I'm just in neutral. Stuff comes out of me. It's like I know that it's like okay, I did what I was supposed to do. My students will come back and go, and they'll say something, and I'll go, "Oh my god, that's so smart! Who told you that?" And they'll be like, "You did," <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm like, "It it's it's not. Well, maybe I mean it's like maybe I should analyze that. I don't think it's an ego thing. I think it's just the whole thing of the magic is real. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's like mm-hmm. it's this whole sense of okay, I listened, I went blah, it really helped people. This is what I'm supposed to be doing that away, up and through yes. and out. And that's what like really, really excites me. The card people, the decks having a life of their own. I love that. And it's true, but I think they only did that because I didn't put too much of me in them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Right? 100%. It's true. Like, Oh, It is so true because it's funny because it's one thing when I'm telling people about what I've created or telling them how to use it. And it's very different mind space to when I'm actually making it. When I'm making it, I'm not thinking about who's looking at it. I'm not thinking about, you know, what the end product will be. It is that kind of neutral. I like how you put that. You go into neutral. And I suppose how I see this, I don't know if you feel similar, is that, we are all connected spiritually we're all connected to that greater divinity universe whatever you like to call it and in a way when we remove ourselves from the main focus and we go into that sort of flow state, whether that's writing or painting or making or creating or whatever you're doing when you go into that flow state you kind of naturally tap into that spirit mm-hmm. if that makes sense and yeah. Because I think what distracts us from that spirit is all those, all those mindsets that aren't creative. So I would say the creative forces are love, uh, unity, connection, communication. They're, they're all the things that I think are being channeled when, when, mm-hmm. when you create. The things that get in the way of that is fear or jealousy or um, pressure, pressure to perform. There's all these things that distract us. And so we might be making something. If, if you're making something and you're fueled by the power of fear, or you're f- fueled by the power of, yeah, trying to create something um, in a sort of an ego way, the content is, is no good. It's not something people can connect with. Whereas when you're creating just intuitively with the spirit of love and connection and unity, that's where people connect with it if that makes sense yeah it does you know like when i was a teenager i remember i would paint things that i thought would people would want to buy and i didn't have much success
0: right. <laughs> and
2: then when i was older when i was older like in my late 20s uh, into my 30s and i started painting i was like i i didn't paint for like six years i was like when i started painting i was like oh i'll just paint for me i'll just it'll be a flow state thing i'm not going to worry about the end product being something that's beautiful and I ended up painting these very very simple symbolic paintings and not only did they feel more channeled and beautiful to me but people actually connected with them (laughs) like people you know people connect with them and I wasn't trying to make something that people connect to it was because I tuned myself to that unifying force rather than the me force and the me force is always trying to prove themselves you know and that's a daily battle you know proving yourself and proving your worth and, and reacting to fear or whatever it is that pressures you on a day-to-day basis. That's why I think anyway.
1: <laughs> no, I agree. Cause I think I I think people relate because they know. Mm. They, they know they they instinctively as some sort of I mean first of all, people who pick up our decks are picking them up because they're not probably on a spiritual quest anyway. Mm, and so, so they're they're at least in some point, in some way in their lives, they are awake. they they're a start or starting to wake up or there's something. they're starting to tune in. they they can pick up a deck or a book or any kind of tool and go, this doesn't feel right. It might just feel right, might not feel right because, there's literally nothing wrong with it it was created in integrity it's a beautiful piece of of it's a i call tarot a language of the divine so it's just a beautiful representation of the language of the divine it's just not for them mm. uh, or they might pick it up and go Icky, you. you know and it's like the, no this is this is this this really doesn't feel right but i think that if you just try to make something that's for the masses that you are trying to make something that people want. You're just going to not make very many people happy. Mm, You're not because it's not going to be a connection and that's what they're there for. They're looking for the connection.
2: Mm. Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm really interested to, I'm really, one of the things I'm being really excited about talking to you about is angels, because it's something that I don't work with. Um, I don't work with angels and it's not something I've really looked into. Partly out of my, I think I mentioned to you, partly out of my rebellion from religion, I kind of threw everything out and Mm. thought, you know, I'll go back as and when I'm ready to look at those things. I had a lovely conversation recently with Alex Regan about prayer and how I recently um, returned to the Lord's Prayer. Um and I did so by rewriting it in right. language that wasn't triggering for me. Um so I'd really love to know a bit about how how you work with angels and, and how you see their work in our lives. And 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 with the tarot even. You know, you mentioned you've made tarot decks using, you know, the angels being included.
1: I you know, it's funny because I'm such a goofy youth, I guess. I mean, I just it's like I I mean, my angel things in a way was guided. Well, no, I mean, okay, trying to met, not make this is a long story. I had my first angel experience when I was five, but I didn't really know what that was. I really didn't know what happened. I it it took the 2020 vision of a 20 year old to go, oh, that. But my mom loved angels. I mean, she just did. She, but she loved them not nece- not from the standpoint of so much. I wish I could ask her this. She's no longer with us, but it's like, for her, it was really just, she's got her coffee cup and it has an angel on it and it says, you know, have you hugged your angel today? And she had a bumper sticker that said, never drive faster than your angels can fly. Or (laughs) she had her angel brooches and she, so it was, you know, it's like, it's the same thing as if it was kind of in a way, the same thing as like, you know, somebody who like, likes owls. Right. Mm. And so they have an owl brooch and an owl mug but I think that it put it in my consciousness. But it's like, I honestly, Ari, I just never, I don't recall ever attaching it to religion. I just never, somehow I just never did. You know, the research shows that angels are kind of like the one thing, one thing that the religions agree on and it's like they they call them different things they might call them angels they might call them deities or they might call them something else but they the concept is like kind of like a wash and so i just don't see it as religious at all i just see it as here's the divine and in fact this 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 came up recently in a in a conversation with one of my um friends where it was like, it just sort of occurred to me is like, I don't know if you know this, but angels are associated with colors. Okay. So like Michael is sapphire blue and Raphael is emerald green and they oh, have wow. colors. And so it occurred to me once t- the other day when this conversation with my friend that it was like, you know what, this is like, it's like, here's the, s- here's source, here's the divine. And the light of the divine is hitting a prism. And the prism, all those colors are going out, and they are the angels. It's so it's just another, it's part of source, it's a part of the divine, it's it's an element, it's just Michael's element is sapphire blue, and it has it's all about safety and protection and and life purpose, and and emerald is Raphael, and it's about physical health and somewhat romance, and Uriel is gold, and it's about epiphany and 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 life transformation and gabriel is copper and it's communication and creativity and and none of these like rays of light because some there's a system diana cooper who i love to pieces but her system is very much like these rays of light but for me it's a different kind of viewpoint because it's like none of these are none of these archangels are the entirety of source. None of them are the entirety of God. They're, they're elements of it. And so they have the element of God. They, Mm. so they all have this element of God. It's very like this, 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 And, and that's the archangels. The guardian angels are just like this whole other thing, you know, and they're white light. And so they're just here for us. It's, unconditional love it's what it is and you know my I think my biggest pet peeve in life at this particular point is humanizing the angels it just drives me insane it's just the same as it drives me insane for people to to try to humanize God because the human experience is so small you know, and so we want to say that, oh God is wrathful, God is God will get mad. you have to do things the like way God says, or oh, you will be punished and and you know, there are some people who, in my personal opinion, know nothing about angels who say things like, "Don't call on Archangel Michael, He's too busy for you." You know, it's like, or Archangel Michael is the archangel who's ahead of all the archangels. You know what? No, the angels don't need a human pyramid scheme. They don't Mm. need that. They also are unlimited because they're a piece of the divine. And so they can just, they can take care of you while you're feeling unsafe in your relationship at the same time that they're getting Timmy out of the well. I mean, it's like, it's, it's not a limit.
2: I really love that. And, oh, I mean,
1: sorry, in, sorry. no. It's it's just it's like in your busy world, if you got a minute to tune into that, dude. I, I mean, seriously. I know I, I, I
2: already am. I think what I love about what you just said, I've never heard anyone explain it this way. As when you start talking about it, as uh, you know, they're they're like branches, or you know, colors of that greater divine rainbow. I'm totally on board with that. like, Because how I've been doing it in my language has been, has been in my head, like the divine is this um, white light.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: it goes out into the world into a rainbow. That's literally what I've painted. In fact, um, Carl Gray's deck, um, I think I did it on, on the front cover. <laughs> Maybe I'll just double check. Oh, no, I did. it wasn't on the front cover. But um, I did a lot of paintings of white lights with rainbows coming out because it was like there's this there's this core creative force and all these other colors are like the aspects of it um the diversity of it so because you can't really use one word one color to describe the divine you know you could say the divine is love the divine is unity but what about the words for courage or the words for strength or the words for uh beautiful vulnerability you know Mm -hmm. Uh, truth, communication. Like, I love, I just love how you described that. And I'm totally on board, especially when you said about the humanization because that was a huge thing for me when it came to the divine. I couldn't stand the way that people would limit the divine or God to a being as if they're a human. You right. know, my church never, they would always say, oh, you know, of course, God's not human. It's not a man with a beard. But they would still talk and think of, the divine as if it was a human they still had to gender it they still had to make it this sort of very separate thing that you can't connect with that is just looking down on you when i think the whole message of most religions is all about how we actually can we do connect with the divine so i love that i'm really glad that you've used you used just the right words use visuals which (laughs) i appreciate i'm very visual and Um, The humanization, I was like, yes, I'm on board with all of this. So that's really fascinating. Like, I'd really love to, like, look more into that. You've sparked my interest.
1: (laughs) I'm glad. You know,
2: you've dispelled the fears that I had. The fears I had were beings walking around. No. Okay.
0: I'm (laughs) Your
1: great aunt Edna may be walking around, and I'm sure she has the best of intentions. But, you Um, know, I mean, even my perception of people who are um, on the other side is that, if they're presenting themselves to us in some form, it's a human reminder of who they were, just so we recognize them. Mm. It's it's just if if Great Aunt Edna cussed like a sailor, then she's gonna cuss like a sailor talking to you, even though on the other side she probably doesn't do that, but you won't recognize her otherwise. But to me, that that that's the soul on the other side having to radio us through the old ego so that we can get the message but Mm -hmm. angels don't have that angels don't have egos they also don't have genders yes they don't
2: one more question about angels if we've got time time. one more question um what do you think about the idea of guardian angels so i hear a lot of people talk about the idea that everyone has their own guardian angel is that something that you believe or, or do you have a perspective on that
1: I do I totally believe it in fact it's like if you go into the guardian angel headquarters my picture is on the wall back there as their promo guy because <laughs> i think that that guardian angels are the unsung heroes of the angelic realm because human beings we like sexy concepts right and so the archangels i don't and i don't mean sexy like you know, right? Okay. I mean, it's, it's a sexy concept. Yeah. And so we love that Michael does this and Uriel does that and Jophiel does this and, you know, Sandalphon does that. And we love that because we're human and we're in this like place where we think that. And so we love that, but we don't pay attention to the very entities, the very aspect of the divine, not the divine that is within us, mm. but the element of the divine that is with us. That is literally there loving us, adoring us, follows us lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, knows back when you were some Indian princess, and you don't remember that, but they do, Mm. and they know the way in which it is affecting you in this particular lifetime. But I totally believe in guardian angels in a very powerful way, because I feel like, again, We as human beings have to like take our limits off of the divine and what it's capable of. So is it capable of of having entities around us that are an element of itself that is there to love us and care for us and be of support to us when we ask for it? Of -hmm. course, the divine can do that. I believe that and and my experience with my guardian angels, because my first real experience with an angel was my guardian angels. And in one in particular, because I don't I don't think we just have one. I think we can have more than one. And I have theories on that. Maybe that's another coffee date, but but it's it's this whole element of they're the ones that are here. You can call on Michael, he's omnipresent, he'll be here. But the angel that is with you that is getting you through day to day reminding you as you said earlier that life is wonderful and beautiful that angel that reminds you that even when life is not so beautiful or wonderful that to me is the guardian angel element that of the divine that is with us all the time and i think Mm. there's a reason why guardian angels are perceived to be white because it goes right back to source
0: Mm.
2: i love that that's definitely given me uh, a, fresh perso- a fresh perspective that I, in a language that I can understand. So thank you. Thank you, thank you for wording it in such a way. <laughs> You're welcome.
1: You're welcome. Yeah. Ari, this was so much fun. I have loved thank every you. second of this.
2: Same. It's been so um, enlightening and uh, I love it. I love this kind of conversation.
1: Yep. So tell people what you got going and where they can find you.
2: You can find me on my website, ariwisner.com, or mostly on social media on Instagram and TikTok, ari underscore wisner on Instagram and TikTok. Um, I have two tarot decks, the Transient Light Tarot, uh, which is with Hay House, um, available anywhere you buy your tarot decks or through my website. Um, and then I have the Trinity Tarot, which is currently um, self-published, so you can buy it through my website. Um, but later this year, um, it is due to go best market with U.S. games. And I'm currently working on an Oracle deck, um, and I'm taking my time with it. <laughs> um, <That's important. laughs> yeah. And that's it, really. That's, that's mm-hmm. where I'm at and what I'm doing. Spell Ari Weissner for them, Wisner. Sure. So it's A-R-I, and Wisner is W-I-S-N-E-R.
1: Thanks, Ari. This was super fun. Let's do it again.
2: Thank you. Yes, please.
1: Okay, folks, that's it for the Angel Tarot Show for today. If you are watching this on YouTube, hey, 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 good to see you. If you're listening to it on MindBodySpirit.fm, it has been wonderful having this conversation with you. And we will be back to our series on the Archangels next week. See you then.
0: You've been listening to the Angel Tarot Show with Bradley Valentine. To discover more, visit RadleyValentine.com slash podcast.
1: Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patris and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling and on my
2: podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the
1: signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate,
0: and grow on this journey together.